0: Good evening everybody. Thank you for joining my stream this evening where I'm joined again by the wonderful E. Michael Jones, the person who I believe is the commentator who has his finger most on the pulse for what we are going through at the moment and who has the courage to speak out about what is actually behind all of this where a lot of people are unwilling to go there, he does. So Michael Jones, welcome back. How are you? Thank you,
1: Gemma. Good to be here. Glad to be back.
0: Well, listen, we're going to discuss a few things tonight, but the Rainbow Brigade have already disgraced themselves in Ireland. And uh, you can see here that in Waterford, um, this drag queen got a bit carried away and pulled his skirt up in front of an audience of children and adults, but uh, there were children present. But of course, as we've said from the beginning, this is about pedophilia and depopulation. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, well, I'm shocked uh, that decent people like drag queens would engage in this type of behavior. I mean, what were you expecting? What were they expecting when they dragged their children? I don't know whether there were any children in the audience. There were. But the, the the big uh, the big uh, thing over here is drag queen story hour at your local library now why any parent would take a child to some type of this uh, this, uh, this 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 uh, disgusting exhibitionism on the part of uh, homosexuals i don't know i don't understand but if you do this is exactly what you deserve because what do you think is going on here this is preposterous this isn't Uh, I don't know what you would to call this. This This is psychological warfare to demoralize the Irish people, to demoralize the American people as well, and see how far they can get them to degrade themselves by putting up with this type of stuff.
0: Yeah, very much so. I mean, what parent does not want to become a grandparent? I don't believe that there is any parent out there that actually happy about the fact that their child is gay. Um, I, our mutual friend, Owen Benjamin, describes this lit, like as bombs coming down on your country. It is the end of your country. They're metaphorical bombs exploding on your culture and on your future because they're targeting children, and it's about depopulation and psychological warfare, as you say. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes, of course I would. Gemma, your your microphone, your speaker is, is going in and out. Uh, it? So, is. That, that's better now. That's better oh, my now.
0: apologies. Okay, sorry. Yeah, about-
1: now, the, uh, the the issue here is, yes, of course it's psychological warfare, but the problem is that most people don't recognize this warfare when it's happening. They've been so brainwashed by watching the media and their categories getting imposed on it that they don't understand what's going on and of course that's our job to explain that to them. We always we always have a tendency to want to fight the last war. that's all the generals do it all the time and uh, we are in the same situation because we've been exposed to so much psychological warfare. So we'd like to go back when the enemy was obvious. Let's go back to when the days of the Soviet Union, when we knew that there were communists running the place and they were over there behind that wall, the Berlin Wall, and we knew where we stood and uh, where Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul II were on the same team. and Well, that's not the way it is anymore. Uh, that may have been once, but that's over now. And, and in many ways, the situation is completely reversed now, certainly in the Ukraine, about who the aggressor in the Ukraine is. The aggressor is NATO. That's obvious, that should be obvious to anyone with a mind to apprehend the situation. So we all want to go back to those wars, and we miss the war that's actually being waged against us. And this is war, this is war. It's waged against the the Irish people to demoralize them, to to, uh, demoralize them in every sense of the word. In other words, to discourage them, to undermine their moral uh, uh, fiber, their, their moral, their ability, because when it comes to most people in this world, most people are not rich and powerful. You probably figured that out, okay? Then what's that most people have to defend themselves against the rich and the powerful? It's only the moral law. That's basically it. And you have to uphold the moral law if you wanna be able to uh, protect yourself, protect your family. Anytime someone is encouraging the undermining of the moral law, that person is waging war against you. Uh, Even if you would like to commit the sin that they're encouraging, it doesn't change the fact that this is war being waged against you. And anyone who gives you a pass on following the moral law is your enemy. You should know that. We know that homosexuality is wrong. Now uh, that's been accepted. Now we're gonna have the situation where we're going to allow the homosexual to groom your children in front of you. Well, this is crazy. Now, uh, tell me, did everyone rush the stage and beat this guy up? Is that what happened?
0: I'd say most of them laughed and thought it was hilarious because, you know, that's what they have to be seen to be doing to... You know, they they seem to think, Michael, that this is something that's good and healthy for their children to see and that they were so repressed being raised in a Catholic country where, you know, they were taught, well, maybe, you know, sleeping around is not a good idea because it'll mean your life will be miserable. You might end up a single parent. You might end up you know, in poverty. So all of the guidelines that they were given, which were so good for them, um, no, they see that as so old-fashioned repressive. It's much better for a dirty old man in a dress to be showing his, you know, private parts to their children. Now, this is progress.
1: No, no, what it is, is, is virtue signaling. What, what these people are doing is they are telling you that they are basically good people because they brought their children to watch this disgusting exhibition. Now, why are they interested in virtue signaling? Uh, because of guilt. Guilt is the cause of virtue signaling. So you, your conscience is convicting you because you know you do, you're you doing something wrong and you're confronted with the issue, now how do I deal with this? Do I go back to the the moral law, to the defender of the moral law? Do I go back to church? Do I go back to confession and say, I'm sorry for what I did? Or maybe I should get together with other people. And if we get enough of these people together, we'll have a big crowd of people who all feel the same way, who are all consumed by the same guilt and are all pressured to do the same virtue signaling and we'll make wrong, right. I mean, if we have enough people, doesn't it work that way? If you have enough people, if you get enough degenerates to march down the street uh, uh, undressed and uh, lightning doesn't strike them, doesn't this prove that God approves of what they're doing or there is no God or something like that? I think this is the dynamic that's going on here. We see it in every single gay pride parade. Let, let me get, let me set something to the record straight here. In the United States of America, There is only one kind of parade now, and that is the gay pride parade. Because any time that any local group decides that they're going to have a parade to celebrate, I don't know, the 4th of July, St. Patrick's Day, to give you two prominent examples, immediately a group of homosexuals will announce that they are going to march in your parade. And you have no way to stop them because the rule of law has been abrogated here and it favors these uh, deviant groups. So there was a time when uh, the St. Patrick's Day parade in New York City uh, had a lot of contention over this issue. And basically the Catholics, the Irish rolled over and played dead, uh, uh, faced with the rule of law uh, coming down against them. And so they allowed it. So now every parade is a gay pride parade. That's that simple.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I wanted you to discuss in in that context the piece you have written about what's going on in Michigan in relation to uh, marijuana. Tell us about that because you've written a fantastic book really about it. it's how long 50 it's days? called
1: an article <laughs> okay but... <laughs> yeah. is it is it on
0: cultural war test is it up there
1: it will, yet? it well no it won't be out for uh, uh the next issue will be out in so you're getting a, okay. an advanced an advanced copy here of so so yeah you, i was uh inspired to do this because you sent me that little meme about the penal laws in uh, this is the most recent issue this issue is out uh by the way so I'm always, I'm always writing the article for the next issue. Uh, this is available if you go to culturewars.com. Great article by Elisa Rangel, who's the old managing editor of uh, Culture Wars. Uh, grew up in Florida. Um, uh, tells you the inside story of what happened to uh, Disney, how Disney got taken over by that group of people that no one's allowed to talk about. Uh, and how uh, Disney now is uh, became a, a, an independent state uh, in the middle of Florida until Ron DeSantis, the governor there, revoked their uh, not, not tax exempt status, independent status. Anyway, that's in this issue. But we're talking about uh, you send me this thing about the, the penal laws in Ireland. Yes. And they're outrageous. OK, and they're so outrageous no oligarch would ever do that again. Never. Okay. Now that, that was, I remember I played Irish music uh, for 16 years at the local pub here. And, uh, and uh, during that time, we talked about,
0: sorry, can we just set it straight regarding your Irish roots? Your grandfather came from Cork,
1: right? My grandfather and, uh, and his wife came from Ballahadrine. So that side of the family was Irish. He came over to Philadelphia in uh, 1900 and became a very uh, a successful businessman until he lost his money in the depression. So I-, I knew him as a very old man. I was a very young boy. I knew him as a very old man. Uh, we used to go down to the house he built for us in Wildwood. So yeah, that's that and That was German my grandfather. On the
0: other side, German on the other side.
1: And yes, your my, side. my mother's, that's my father's side. My mother's side was German uh, and that's typical uh, triple melting pot because uh, both of them were Catholic. So but Catholics- would
0: consider jo- Jones now would be too, more of an English name.
1: Yes, my father, my great-grandfather was Isaac Jones and he was Welsh. And he's, ah. the, ol- he's the only man who ever emigrated to Ireland. Uh, it was bleeding people other than Vikings uh, taking Irish women off to Iceland. So he decided to emigrate to Ireland from Wales
0: very good. Uh, Sorry, Welsh. I meant to
1: say, not English. Yeah. Welsh. Yes, and and, uh, and I think uh, that th- th- just didn't work out. Uh, so my my grandfather uh, left. Uh, his father came from Wales, but uh, settled in Cork, and then my grandfather left and went to America. It was just that bad. It was that bad. It's always been that bad in Ireland uh, until it got worse, which is where we are now. It's worse. It's worse. Yeah. This what Although you it, what, what you just showed us here on the screen is worse than anything the British ever did to the Irish, and the Irish did it to themselves.
0: Absolutely, it is worse. It is. Imagine a Catholic priest standing on an altar and doing that. You know, I mean, they say like the Catholic Church is responsible for all of Ireland's ills, uh, but we all know that that was, um, you know, mostly. Well, due to infiltration and a very tiny, tiny minority of priests. But get back to Michigan, the Michigan situation, because the whole marijuana thing is as relevant there as it is right. in Ireland. And because, you walk down any street in Ireland now and all you get is the stench of dope.
1: Right. That's So that was then and this is now. We're not going to go back to the penal laws because that's an obsolete form of control because you understand who's controlling you and why. You understand that you're a conquered nation, and that unites the Irish people, and it united them long enough to where they overthrew British rule in 1919, wherever it was, okay? So it's obsolete. Now, who was the man? The man who said, pretty much wrote the book about state-of-the-art forms of control now was an Englishman by the name of Aldous Huxley. And the book he wrote was called Brave New World, an incredibly prescient book uh, written by the scion of the British uh, aristocracy. The Huxley family was famous. His grandfather was known as Darwin's bulldog because he basically introduced Darwin to the world, promoted. They promoted him because that was the kind of guy that they wanted. They wanted uh, struggle, uh, survival of the fittest because they thought they were the fittest and so on and so forth. So that's the 19th century. That's Darwin in the 19th century. Darwin uh, was a promoter of Malthus. And Malthus felt that there were too many people in the world. And he felt that way largely because of Ireland. Uh, there were too many Irishmen there. Uh, they were having too many children. And Ireland is an island. And you kind of, he came from another island. And you have these people extrapolating about population on islands which are by nature limited. They're small. That's why they're islands. And so he extrapolated and he felt we were all going to starve to death and so on and so forth. So Huxley was another follower of not only Darwin, but also Malthus, who felt that the entire world was an island and that we're all having too many people. And the biggest problem facing the world was what he called reproductive delinquency. That means you Catholics are having too many children. And mm-hmm. that's what it means. And so what is the solution to reproductive delinquency? And the answer is you have to read Brave New World to find out. Now, he uh, uh, 25 years later, he was back in America. I had been in America for a long time, uh, but he did a, a lecture on the 25th anniversary of Brave New World. And in that time, he had had the chance to read 1984 which came out in 1948, which is the year I was born, and also 15 years after uh, Brave New World. But this was about communism and the communist dictatorship in the Soviet Union. And it was about brutal forms of social control. And he said, basically, this is not an effective way to control people. The effective way to control people is to keep them docile, and happy. Now, how do you keep people docile and happy? Okay. One way is sex. Okay. But there's a problem with sex because most people are heterosexual. And most times when you have sexual intercourse, there is the possibility you're going to have a child as a result, and that leads to more uh, procreative delinquency, reproductive delinquency. So we don't really wanna do that, that's not a good idea. So what's the best, the the other alternative? The other alternative is drugs as a form of control. Now his word in uh, Brave New World was soma, which is uh, a word he got from Indian mythology. So he never really specified the drug So what we're talking about here is after the war, uh, basically, Huxley's ideas took over a very significant group of people, and they were known as the CIA in America. And what you had was a group of largely Jews, pretty much a whole Jewish operation uh, run by Sidney Gottlieb and people like that, uh, that decided, he's right, it's good, but what is SOMA? What's it going to be? And so we went through he goes through a list in his uh, speech about, well, this drug does this, this. And so the problem is you need a drug that is going to make you docile and happy. But you also need a drug that will allow you to function to a certain extent. Now, that is probably not alcohol. We've had a lot of experience with alcohol, but it generally gets out of control with a certain segment of the population. And they can't Pull the lever on the assembly line. Okay, so we're going to rule that out. And then they go through this kind of experiment here. So right after World War II, uh, we have the move to the suburbs, uh, which is social engineering. Uh, You have the GIs coming back from the war. They were socially engineered in the war. And so you also have television, which is also a form of social engineering. They're all together. And if that's not enough, we're going to come up with something called uh, barbiturates or something called Milltown was the brand name, which was a barbiturate that was going to keep you happy. uh, The housewives happy at home because they're bored and not having any children because they're taking contraceptive pills or not using contraception. The pill came in 64. The Rolling Stones wrote a song about this called Mother's Little Helper. That's what that's what this was. And it turns out that didn't work out. Okay. Well, now we are we're on to the next problem. The next problem is that that group of people had a lot of children, and the name of that group of children has come to be known as the baby boom. So, children, a lot of children born in the United States between the years of 1946 and 1964, and uh, it turns out that when they, like me, uh, I'm one of them when we reach uh, the age of 20, which I reached in 1968, uh, we're faced with the draft. And we're faced with the draft, being drafted into an army that is fighting in Vietnam, and nobody wants to go. i some people went. It generally depended on whether you went to college or not. So in my working class neighborhood, the guys that didn't go to college ended up going to Vietnam, and some of those people never came back. Uh, 50,000 of them never came back, as a matter of fact. So we've got something called the anti-war movement. Now, how are we going to deal with that? Well, why not drugs? And so the drug that they now were going to use to uh, destroy the anti-war movement was LSD. Uh, And LSD gives you hallucinations. It gives you a sense of another reality. And at this moment, they created not just LSD, They created a whole thing called the counterculture, which was basically sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And we're talking about, let's say, the summer of 1967, the summer of love. I was 19 years old at the time. And I began to feel those vibrations coming from the West Coast, coming from San Francisco, uh, combined with the fact that I wasn't uh, uh, happy about the Vietnam War. And suddenly you had a whole group of people who were working psychological warfare against the anti-war movement, and nobody knew it. Nobody knew it because we thought, oh, we're fighting, we're against the war. I can show you I'm against the war by taking drugs. No, it was the exact opposite. Drugs ruined the anti-war movement. There's a documentary I saw called Berkeley in the 60s. That group starts out uh, being uh, intelligent, bright college students are talking about Thomas Aquinas and Thomas Jefferson and by the end of it they all have long hair and they're all so stoned they don't even know what happened to them. That's the story in many ways of our generation, my generation, the baby boomer generation. They got hit by something that they never understood and some of them never recovered, okay? But that's not good. I don't want someone taking LSD if he's going to be flying my airplane. Or, or driving down the street where he starts hallucinating and he crashes into my car. So forget it. That's over. Well, what's the next drug? The next drug they invented was called Prozac. Prozac. Is that Soma? that I was invented in 1986. But over this period of time, there's one old standby, I think, that is getting more and more mileage, and that's marijuana. And marijuana is probably the closest thing you can get to Soma. Uh, Marijuana was popular. It may still be popular in India. They had a lot more experience dealing with it there, and they had a lot more bad experiences with it. So right at the same time that LSD starts to fade, you got a group of Jews, of course, who start promoting uh, legalization of marijuana. Greenspoon, Harvard professors, one by the name of Greenspoon, Uh, He was followed up by Carl Sagan, the famous cosmologist who didn't use his real name, uh, followed by Nadelman, uh, and followed by the most famous guy was Allen Ginsberg, who wrote an article in The Atlantic. And their story was always the same. It's basically, there are no side effects for marijuana. It's great. You're You're not hungover. You can smoke it all you want, and there are no side effects. Well, that was completely wrong. Uh, But we that was the propaganda. And at this point, you have the propaganda. The drums start beating for the legalization of marijuana. It didn't really kick in until the 90s. Okay, so we're maybe 10 years after Prozac. uh, And now we're starting to get serious because another big Jew decided to get involved in this. And that was George Soros, who spent a lot of money basically uh, pushing for the decriminalization of marijuana. Now, if you ask why is George Soros interested in the decriminalization of marijuana, the simple answer is probably because he read Brave New World, because he knows that he needs a drug that will make you docile and happy so that he can do whatever he wants with his money. And that is the oligarchic story in a nutshell. That's why Huxley was interested in it. That's why the Jews were interested in promoting it. And so it comes down to uh, in America, state-by-state state referenda. First to- first place passes is California in 1996. Now, at this point, you've got Michigan. I don't know whether the Irish know about Michigan. The most famous citizen of Michigan was probably Henry Ford, and everybody knows about his automobiles, but his father arrived on Grose in right after the Irish potato famine. So this is part of the Irish diaspora. Grozeel is an island in the middle of the St. Lawrence River. It was one of the main demarcation points for Irish immigrants coming to the United States. There are stories, stories of the Irish being dumped by their landlords onto ships and just sent off Uh, because they were the surplus population. They didn't need them anymore, didn't want them anymore. Arriving on Grosiel, now that's Canada. You arrive there in November, like the last ship to arrive. It's snowing there, and the Irish are literally naked, crawling onto the dock to die right there. It was so bad. Obviously, Henry Ford's father was not part of this, but Henry Ford then went uh, to Michigan, and he was uh, uh, started... Uh, Didn't invent the automobile, but he was invented the assembly line, which was a massive uh, increase in the productivity of labor. And it started a wave of prosperity that started to sweep through the United States of America. Now, at this point, there's a conflict. This conflict is something you should know about because it's one of the fundamental conflicts in America. And that is the conflict between the Midwest which is where Michigan is, Detroit, and the manufacturing center, where people understood that labor is the source of all value, and New York, specifically Wall Street, uh, which believes in finance, usury, and is run by Jews. This is the fundamental conflict of American life. Uh, Certainly was the fundamental conflict in the 1930s, and uh, when the Roosevelt administration wanted to get into the war, Uh, against Germany these were the America firsters from the Midwest and they wanted to keep America out of the war there was a battle and then suddenly uh, Roosevelt orchestrates the attack on Pearl Harbor and it's over, That's the end of America first now they were still perceived as the, go ahead
0: sorry, no, I want you to continue I don't like interrupting your train of thought Um, I think, I don't know about my mic but you're a little bit muffled but when you sit back it's fine when okay. you sit back, it's fine. Okay,
1: I'm, um, I'm having trouble hearing you now. Your are you mic... still?
0: Really? Oh, dear. Okay. Are you Are okay. you close
1: to the mic? It feels can as you if you're in me? another.
0: Can you hear me? Can you hear you... me?
1: I can hear you, but it, you were better before. I don't know why the oh, mic went down.
0: sorry about that. Maybe it's the
1: connection That's better. From... That... That's
0: better. Okay, it's the lead. My apologies. Michael, before you move on, just tell us about the book uh, written by Henry Ford called The International Jew, which I think is pretty much banned everywhere at this stage. What was that about?
1: That was about uh, precisely the battle that we're talking about here. During this period of time, it's large scale migration, not just from Ireland, after 1880, after the The Jewish revolutionaries killed the czar. There's massive Russian migration as well. Russian Jews migrated over here as well. And you have the beginning of a conflict. The conflict at the beginning was over uh, movies because uh, we're talking about the 1920s. Uh, Henry Ford owned the Dearborn Independent, the newspaper where the Ford headquarters were. And he serialized uh, articles about Jewish influence that came to be known, uh, put together as a book, as the uh, the international Jew. He was claiming that basically these, you know, America welcomes immigrants, we're all immigrants to some extent, but this group of influ- uh, immigrants was having a pernicious effect on American culture. They were promoting obscenity. There was a direct line between Hollywood and their promotion of nudity, obscenity, and all of the li- other type of stuff to homosexuality, to what he started the program with. There's a direct line, direct line. And I can trace it for you. I've traced it for you in in books like Libido Dominandi, but there's a direct line of influence there. Uh, And Henry Ford was upset and he published these articles, not just about uh, the movies, he also published it about alcohol, uh, which was also a form of control. He was talking mostly about the Jewish control of alcohol production in places like Poland uh, before he got here. So at this point, you killed a a movement, the America First movement, and you've got this new type of movement called conservatism after the war, but there's still the suspicion about uh, Michigan and the Midwest, and can these people be trusted, or can labor be trusted, and so on and so forth. So at this point, you have some progress, you have the rise of the automobile industry, and then the situation changes again. And at a certain point, the oligarchs decided uh, we're going to destroy the source of all wealth in America. I'm talking about the manufacturing base of America because labor is the source of all value. It's that simple. Now, why would the oligarchs want to destroy the source of wealth? Well, because uh, they felt that they could make money off of the destruction. And I'm talking about the uh, wave of leverage buyouts that took place during the 1980s, fostered by the Reagan administration, fostered by Reagan Thatcherism and their twisted understanding of economic reality. And so basically, okay, we'll buy up your company. We got uh, junk bonds. We got cheap money here. Buy up your company. Load it down with debt. Take the money. Skim the money off the top. We go and laugh all the way to the bank, and your company goes belly up. Uh, because you can't pay off your debts. The workers are out of a job, but that doesn't matter because we don't need workers anymore. We have robots, but more importantly, we have China. And so the labor force, all the manufacturing was moved over to China uh, because they're cheap cheap wages. And so it's a win-win situation, except that now we have, oh, wait a minute. We got the Irish problem now. We have a surplus population that we don't need anymore. So instead of shipping them off uh, to the New World on those ships that uh, Henry Ford's father came in on and landing them in Eel, getting rid of the Irish population, surplus population, because we're just going to, you know, there are too many of these people over here. What are we going to do? Well, we can't really ship the people of Michigan anyplace else. So, what we'll do is we'll make them docile and happy by giving them dope. And at this point, you have the rise of marijuana decriminalization.
0: And, well, I mean, look at Ireland. You know, you just go down anything, as I said, like, you know, it seems to be fairly common, fairly mainstream now for people to smoke dope. But in Ireland, of course, they're drinking very heavily. We are, you know, the biggest drinkers probably in the world, sadly. And, you know, despite having probably produced the pioneer movement, um, you know which was very like even when i was growing up you know we were encouraged to take the blood pledge when we made our our confirmations and a lot of people
1: did this my, is my know, grand, my grandfather took the pledge his sisters told him that they wouldn't follow him over to america unless he took the pledge
0: is that right
1: yeah
0: yeah i mean there were so many great priests who really could see that alcohol was destroying the irish and You know, they promoted abstinence societies, et cetera. The
1: the last time I was in Ireland, I walked out after I gave my lecture and I'm standing on the street and I am people swarming, obviously intoxicated women who are coming up to me and panhandling. I mean, mean, really aggressive type of panhandling here. And they were obviously intoxicated. I don't know whether it was drugs or alcohol, but they were obviously intoxicated right on the street there.
0: Oh, it's horrific. And then, of course, there's a, you know, for every pub, there's a pharmacy. So they're taking the, the big pharma sweeties by day, the alcohol by night, the dope. If the Irish gave up those three things tomorrow, we could save our country. You know, they need to sober up. But look, we you know. Right.
1: I mean, but they, they also need to know that the there is a purpose to this. And I'm trying to explain how that purpose got impl- implemented in Michigan. In Michigan, you had a, uh, uh, the most, pro- I, I would say, one of the most productive workforces in the world, skilled people who, who knew how to create surplus value, and that's the creation of wealth. My, my wife's family from, uh, from Philadelphia, they were part of that, wor- well, I'm, t- I'm tempted to say working class, it's like a mechanic class of people who had all of these skills and could fix anything and just didn't even know they had the skills. Uh, and people like this would go over, to, uh, when they became priests, they'd go over to Tanzania, and they created all sorts of wealth in Tanzania with the, with the farming, because they had skills they didn't even know they had, like fixing their cars and stuff like that, okay? A skilled workforce. And suddenly the oligarchs say, we don't need these people. We don't need them anymore. We can't get rid of them, so let's give them dope so they don't give us any trouble. And that's precisely what happened in the state of Michigan. And it's happening uh, all across the United States now. And
0: you went to this uh, Hempfest recently, didn't right. you? In, yeah. in Michigan. What was that right. like? Horrific. Well,
1: so to get back to the, the story, uh, there's you have the, the proletariat. OK, they come from places like Tennessee, the south. Uh, this is a rural area. I'm talking about my father's generation, the GI generation, okay, fought in World War II. After World War II, they come up to the factories. During World War II, a lot of them come up to started working in the factories. They bring their kind of hillbilly culture uh, up there, uh, and they become uh, deracinated, and they're cut off from their culture, and they don't know what to do. And then the problem here is really comes in the next generation. This is exactly what happened with the black population from places like Mississippi. They were drawn up to places like Chicago because they wanted them to work in the factories. And then the next generation is completely uprooted and they form gangs. Well, you had the same type of thing happening in Elkhart, Indiana with the next generation, except yeah, a, a gang, I think it was probably a gang, maybe not as formal as the black gangs in Chicago, but they're forming gangs and they're engaging in asocial uh, quasi, uh, actually criminal behavior, because that's what happens when you have this uprooted population. And so what you, what you see here is I think an attempt, okay, to solve this problem. And dope is the solution to the problem. Now, the dope we're talking about here with this guy. So this is a guy whose father brings him up. He's born in Tennessee, but his father brings him up to Elkhart. He's working in the factory. He grows up in Elkhart. And suddenly he catches the hippie bug and he decides he's going to buy a farm because hippies have communes so he goes and buys a farm in Vandalia Michigan which is about 50 miles due north of Elkhart and he starts reliving the hippie dream as of uh, you know like great the grateful dead all this type of stuff that's what's going on there and so the culmination of this is he gets he gets involved in um, what's what's the what's the ideology of southwestern Michigan Northwestern Indiana, it's called libertarianism. Completely stupid ideology for people who are deracinated and don't understand anything, who believe you can do what, I have a right to do whatever I damn well please. And so the guy is a homosexual, he wants to smoke dope, He's got other people whose lives have been wrecked, okay, by the social engineering, the move up from the South, and they're all in the same mood. And now the Vietnam veterans are coming back from Vietnam and they're disillusioned and they bring their dope habit back. And suddenly you've got this mass of people that's going to go up to, it's called Rainbow Farm. And damn it, we're going to do whatever we damn well please because we have a right to do this because we're Americans. Damn it where the moral law doesn't apply. Well, this is a recipe for disaster. And that's precisely what happened. So eventually, the cops uh, surround the place, he breaks the law, the prosecutor wants to put an end to this. This guy, uh, when when there's a crisis coming, what do you do? Well, you smoke more dope. And you start taking Prozac to uh, lighten up the dope a little bit too. And as a result, you start making really bad decisions. So at this point, this is national news now. This is Rainbow Farm. This is 2001. This is uh, the siege of Rainbow Farm. The cops are moving in. And suddenly WNDU sends it to the local South Bend TV station, sends its helicopter up there. And he's got an automatic rifle now. Because, damn it, he has a right to have an automatic rifle and smoke dope and do whatever he wants. And so his judgment is so bad, he helicopter comes over he picks up his automatic rifle and starts firing at the helicopter and actually hits the helicopter breaks the law federal law and this brings the fbi in now the fbi are a whole different group of people these are the federal the uh, secret police of the state Uh, they come in the other groups the local groups they're ready to wait out the siege the fbi comes in They put on camouflage uniforms. They crawl onto this guy's property. He has a right to do this, according to the Constitution. You have the right to bear arms, according to the Second Amendment. Uh, But in reality, what this means is if you pick up a gun, the FBI has a right to kill you. So the FBI is there. They claim in a statement after the fact that he lowered his rifle and was ready to shoot us. Now, we don't know if that's the case because dead men tell no tales. So they shoot him. One bullet blows his brains out, and that's the end of the story. That's over. Now, this is 21 years ago. Now, these same people are coming back to Rainbow Farm. Uh, Tom Crossland's dead. The farm has been divided, but there's still this group of people who are coming back, and now marijuana's legal now it's legal so you walk into the woods and (laughs) wait a minute well it's like uh uh, the 4-h fair oh wait everybody is selling dope now so i'm walking around and i i remember marijuana from the 60s it was kind of leaves no more leaves this is only the bud and this stuff is really powerful so it's like uh going from uh a coca-cola to uh, uh a a bottle of whiskey and uh, they're still calling it marijuana. So I'm getting high just by talking to the people there. Okay, I'm just breathing the air. It smells different than it smelled in in the '60s. This is really powerful stuff. And basically what you've got is a group of people now who are, are willing to lock themselves in the jail of their own choosing, which is basically the dope world. That's the end of America first. That's the end of any type of resistance. We are happy and docile because we have dope. That's it.
0: That's a really good summation of how the West has fallen, how it has allowed itself to, you know, tolerate all this degeneracy. It's, yeah, I mean, it's 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 absolutely sickening. That, what a that, brilliant description.
1: That that is that is state-of-the-art yeah. oppression. It's not the penal yeah. laws anymore. So no. don't, don't worry about the penal laws. They'll never come back. This is much more effective because exactly with that drag queen story hour that began this thing, you do it to yourself. You, you, you lock yourself in jail every night, every time you mm-hmm. light up one uh, a, a joint and smoke one of those buds. You're in chemical prison. And you're docile and you're happy. And so this is the triumph of Aldous Huxley and the British ruling class over the working class. Those people came to America to get away from the Huxleys of the world, the landlords who ran Ireland and oppressed the people. And now they've, they've turned Michigan into a dope plantation where everybody is docile and happy until you get paranoid and pull out a gun and shoot somebody
0: yeah incredible a brilliant description just before because we we are 40 minutes into this i wanted to get your opinion on um i'm not sure are you finished now that that did it was there anything no, you wanted that's to add? that's, that that's
1: pretty much that's pretty much that story it will be out the full story will be out in culture wars the next issue so subscribe to culture wars
0: absolutely and I wars. Com. yes there it is and um and of course, your books are available there as right. well to make sure the Jewish revolutionary spirit and libido dominando, I think, is so pertinent.
1: Dominandi
0: right. for times. But um, I don't know, did you see this um, event, this uh, atrocity in one of our finest cathedrals, Michael? Um, a globe for some reason. And this this globe, these globes are appearing in Catholic churches all over Ireland at the moment. Now, I rang Cove Cathedral and I had a little chat with the New World Order priest there. And he said, I said, What are you doing hanging plastic globes or whatever material it's made, probably recycled, no doubt, from the ceiling of this beautiful cathedral? What is this about? And he said, Oh, well, you know, it's like the planet is in danger and all this nonsense. And He said, "Look, it's the same as Saint Patrick using a weed, i.e., the shamrock, to bring the faith to Ireland. It's the same thing." I said, "No, it isn't the same thing at all." But this is what you're dealing with. Have you seen this?
1: When you (laughs) sent it to me, I saw. I have now. I have to say, we we don't have we don't have globes like this in Catholic churches here in America. So you're ahead of us in that regard,
0: huh? Yeah, it's but look, this is the Bergoglio legacy. Is he on the way out? Do you think there he's, having, he's having
1: trouble getting up out of his wheelchair? And there are rumors that he's going to resign. But I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to tell. Th- th- these are the rumors that we're hearing here over here. They're in the papers, so it's hard to tell what's going on. In the meantime, he's packing the College of Cardinals to uh, put more globalists in power here. So. It's hard to say. The, big, the biggest, look, let's, let's be honest here. The reason this has gotten so far is because of the colossal failure of the Catholic Church to educate the people about what is actually going on. In other words, to say publicly, I'm talking about Cardinal Dermot Martin, whom I met when he was the assistant to Cardinal Gagnon at the Council of the Family in Rome in the 1980s. Why can't he tell us that this this is not concerned about homosexuals, what we're talking about here, this the gay agenda, the rainbow agenda. This is psychological warfare against the Catholic people of Ireland. Why can't he say that? Why why can't he say that? Does he not know?
0: He's gone now. You know, he's gone. We have a new man in who's he's he loves the old globes and he had some um, eco awards um recently he's doing eco awards imagine the new archbishop of dublin and if you're very eco-friendly church you you win an eco award so it's the un all the way no honestly this the catholic church in ireland now is being run by the un Well,
1: unfortunately, the Catholic Church in general is being run by the Jesuit uh, and not just the Jesuits. It seems like the editorial board of America magazine from New York City is now Mm -hmm. running the church. I just saw uh, it was an article uh, in which they had a picture and it was editors of Jesuit magazines having an audience with uh, the Pope. So uh, part of the problem, part of the problem, because the Jesuits are Americanists to the man, and they are uh, loyal servants of the American empire and they get money from people like George Soros. So uh, we have this uh, bad situation. What can I say? What can I say?
0: We do. And one of the things I know you feel quite strongly about this, Mike is the split within Catholicism and You know, this is something I've spoken quite a lot about, and I'm developing my views on it because I could understand why so many good Catholics in Ireland have moved to the traditional Latin mass, uh, which is absolutely flying in Ireland at the moment. They cannot bear to be in these New World Order churches anymore. They feel that they're not getting the sacraments. So. But we have lost really good traditional Catholics who understand the Catholicism inside out. They are now in their own little secret cult. It is a cult.
1: That's the problem. That and is exactly the problem.
0: That it, what- I think it is. And the New World Order Catholics don't have a clue. And when you have traditional Catholics who maybe dip in and out and try and tell them, look, you know, this whole rainbow thing is nonsense, the UN global agenda climate agenda is nonsense. we should be speaking out about abortion, contraception, etc. and the, the the Catholics who are sort of a la carte, they instinctively recognize that as the truth and they're you know they just need a few courageous voices to speak out but those courageous voices are now in the Latin mass and they're nowhere to be seen in mainstream Catholicism.
1: That's the problem. that's exactly the problem. So you have uh, heresy on the one side uh, of which you just described, and then the reaction to heresy is now schism. Schism. And you got uh, the, the example is the Society of Pius X uh, in 1988 when Lefebvre uh, consecrated four bishops. Uh, the Society went into schism. It is in schism to this day. When Ratzinger lifted the excommunications that we could do a whole show on that on that and the wreck of the rotzinger papacy because of the holocaust narrative, because they entrapped bishop williamson as a holocaust denier that's another whole story
0: yeah, yeah but, bishop uh, williamson being the
1: one of the bishops who was consecrated by lefevre in 1988. so yeah. this this is uh, i go i went over to wimbledon that's where bishop williamson was uh, after the excommunications had been lifted, they stuck with that. rossiger did not go back on that, to his credit. Okay. So I walked in and I, sa- I said, it's time to end the schism. And at this point he said to me, well, I have a letter from Rome, which says I accept Vatican II in light of tradition. I said, well, sign it. And then we'll talk about tennis. And he said, well, as a matter of fact, Archbishop Lefebvre would have signed the letter. I said, what? You're telling me Bishop Archbishop Lefebvre would have signed it, and you're, are you telling me you're not going to sign it? And that's exactly what he told me. For three hours, he's trying to tell me about why he cannot sign it. That was a moment of opportunity that came and went. And Bishop Williamson is like the, the synagogue on the, the, the facade of the Strasbourg Cathedral. How do we know it's synagogue? Because she's blindfolded. She, the moment of her visitation came and she didn't see it. The moment of Bishop Williamson's visitation came and he didn't see it, and that moment is gone. And the, the schism, because this is, I'm telling you, schism goes so deep, it grabs a hold of your soul, and you just refuse to associate with the body of Christ. That's what he said. He said, it's, there's a, it's a video out there. He said, that the church has tuberculosis. And if we associate with the church, we'll get tuberculosis, spiritual tuberculosis.
0: Um, but but I can understand it. Like, especially like I mean, Ireland is was the most Catholic country in the world. There's just no question about that. And it Vatican II caused so much pain to my parents' generation. It absolutely devastated them. Like their beautiful churches, the altars ripped out the tradition that they had grown up with abolished, gone, and all of this dreadful modernism, it really struck into the soul of many Irish people of that that older generation. So a lot of their children now, you know, they, they, they feel a connection with their parents, with their upbringing by going to these Latin mass churches. And what I would say to them is, yeah, continue to go, but don't leave the New World Order Catholics behind. You have to educate them about the faith. Because most of the Catholic priests now haven't a clue of the Catholicism. They're too busy lecturing about climate change and Ukraine and immigration. So they're not getting it from the altar. And these people need to get into parish councils. They need to get into, um, you know, the local community Catholic organizations and start talking about abortion, contraception, etc.
1: OK, but let's let's be smart about this. You know, let's stop playing checkers. Let's start playing chess here. OK, so what uh, the, the Traditiones Custodes, that thing was the brainchild of Thomas Rees, who is a Jesuit who writes for America magazine. Now, what is the strategy here about uh, banning the illicit Tridentine mass that Rotzinger enabled through Samorum? Pontificura. What is the purpose of this? The purpose of this is to drive those people who are attached to the Latin mass into schism. In other words, drive them out of the church into the arms of the SSPX, where they will be hors de combat, missing in action. And that will mean that the new church, the 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 um, <laughs> the one you described with the big balloon there. Uh, that will become more and more under the control of the Jesuits, the the liberal Jesuits, the homosexual mafia that is now running the church. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yes, yes, very much. So it's uh, exactly. exactly.
1: So are you going to play into the hands of your enemy? I'm addressing the Irish people now. Are you going to play into the hands of your enemy once again? Once again? I mean, are you going to do anything but play into the hands of your enemies? whether it comes to dope or whether it comes to homosexuality or whether it comes to schism. You'll show us, you'll go into schism. That's not the solution to this problem.
0: It's not. But as I say, like, surely it's fair enough to say, like, I, I was educated by Dominicans and we got the Gregorian chant and we got, you know, quite a bit of Latin and we got all the beautiful hymns, etc. And I can understand why people... You know, want to hold on to that. Of course, it's beautiful apart from anything else. And you feel closer to God when you're at a Latin Mass, I suppose, no question. And they see the Eucharist being thrown around, you know, by women, scantily clad women on the altar and all of this. So they're very offended by it and they can't bear to be near it. But they, ha- unfortunately, they have to lift up their cross and go back into these churches and stand up and speak out. And they can still have their Latin mass as well, I think.
1: Schism is not the cure for heresy. No. Uh, Schism is Judaizing. The Donatist that Augustine wrote about, he is the master in describing schism. Read his treatise on Donatism or on the baptism to understand the full implications of schism. Schism is based on lack of charity. There's no point in debating doctrine. That's not what the issue is. It's lack of charity because of refusal to associate with the communion. And Augustine says, if you like charity, you cannot be saved. So forget about your little ark, you know, your little watertight ark uh, where you're off all by yourself, you know, and no problems and blah, blah, blah. That's not the church. OK, that is the problem here. We have to face up to the fact that that is every bit as big a problem. As a matter of fact, they're related to each other. And the real issue, as far as I'm concerned, I, mean, I wrote about this almost a year ago, is was if the if the liturgy needs to be reformed, then reform the liturgy. But why didn't, so Ratzinger, I'm talking to Ratzinger now, so reform the liturgy. But what did he do? He opens up the Latin mass as a way of dealing. I'm saying, this is my judgment, his passive aggressive way of dealing with another problem. And that other problem is the Jewish question. Now I wrote about this. You can get this go back to the last year's September issue. I show, I think convincingly, that this is what that's really about. Ratzinger was trying to deal with the Jewish question in a passive aggressive fashion by throwing it into the Latin mass because the Latin mass was going to have those statements in Latin about the perfidious Jews and the Good Friday prayer, that type of thing. The liberal theologians in Germany which is a disaster, uh, said, we know what you're doing. This is what you're really doing. And I think I agree with them. Let's reform the liturgy. Let's deal with the Jewish question. And let's stop pretending that these other measures are going to deal with it. They are not getting to the heart of the problem. That's not the heart of the problem. I know they're, they get mad at me when I say this, but it's not the heart of the problem. If you want to reform the liturgy, reform the liturgy. Ban the 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 uh, the uh, whatever they are. The I don't know what's the latest thing. Clown masses? No, that's not the latest thing. Gay because, um, drag, whatever queen it masses, is, yeah. whatever drag queen masses, whatever it is, get rid of them. Take control of the church instead of this passive aggressive behavior. That's I what needs too. to be done.
0: And these are the best Catholics, you know, they are like they understand about the Jewish issue. They understand, you know, the Holocaust is mostly fake Um, they've got it all, but they don't have courage. Like I will go into any New World Order church and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'll face my judgment, but, you know, I'll give out stink to them. I will go into the parish office and say, why are you hanging, you know, a globe from the the, the roof of the ceiling of the church? Why are you indoctrinating children and telling them that the planet is melting? This is nothing to do with the gospel. Do I get into argy bargies all the time? Yes, but I think that is our role as Catholics.
1: Well, just yes. think if you had all of those uh, all of those Lefevorites behind you as well, That's you'd crazy. have a lot more clout than you, than you have now. But I think that is the purpose. Let's be smart about this. The purpose of Father Reese's condemnation of licit Tridentine masses was to drive the Catholics into schismatic tridentin masses. I know it happened. I, I watched it happen. I think he knew what he was doing because this brings about, from their point of view, a purification of the Catholic Church so that it's only the crowd that goes along with the homo mafia or the new world agenda and so on and so forth.
0: Completely, yeah. I I do think that that is, you know, further to be, you know for those catholics that really understand the faith that they do need to get back involved with with the mainstream church you know it's hard it it is very hard i can understand it it, do, it feels protestant when you go into these churches now it just feels like you're at a protestant service mike you know you know that i'm sure from the states
1: i understand but mm-hmm. I, I i go to a, a my local parish here the local parish does not have these abuses Right. Is, it, is it because I'm there? I don't know. I mean, when they asked me, when the priest asked me to take part in the synodal con- consultation, I certainly gave him an earful. I said, I'm not going to play out. Look, I lived in Germany. I know what's going on here. Don't waste my time. You know, I told him clearly that. So did that have an effect? I don't know. It, it, if I didn't say it, maybe that would have had an effect. This is You have to stand your ground here.
0: Yeah, they want you. In fact, I think priests like to see that because they've been so beaten down and called every name under the sun and that they're the worst in the world. and They're all pedophiles. But when they see Catholics standing up and defending the faith, it does give them courage. Definitely. You know, so we need we need
1: need that solidarity. We need the ethnic solidarity that the church can bring to Ireland. The only way that the church is going to, or Ireland is going to have ethnic solidarity because the faith is part of Irish identity. And so if you keep dividing, I don't care whether you're dividing it because of the Tridentine mass or because of the homo agenda. You're dividing the church and the church needs to come together at this crucial moment. And if that means reforming the liturgy, then reform the liturgy. It certainly means addressing the Jewish question, so address the Jewish question, because this is what destroyed Ratzinger's papacy. It's clear in Zayval's biography. It was the Williamson affair. They had planned it in advance, and as soon as he lifted the excommunications, every headline across Europe says, Pope allows Holocaust denier into the church. It was the Holocaust that was the weapon that destroyed Ratzinger's papacy. And I think led to his resignation.
0: That is fascinating. That is yeah. It's it, it it's a very good explanation. All right. Well, we maybe we'll do another stream on that at some point, and all the other subjects that that you've raised this evening that we need to discuss in more detail. But our time is up and please everyone do subscribe and do take that advice on board. It's well meant, especially to the hardcore Catholics that tune in who for whom I have the highest regard. Um, but I, I think it's something that you need to mull over. Um, Michael, thank you so much as always. Any last final words before you part?
1: Yeah. God yeah. bless us all. God save Ireland.
0: Absolutely. God bless all of us in all of the countries of the West, and it's getting more serious, but it has to get worse before it gets better, but it is going to get better.
1: From your mouth to God's ear, Gemma.
0: Please, God. (laughs) Listen, thanks so much for joining me again, Mike. You'll be back soon, I hope.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure.
0: Okay, take care of yourself. Good night. God bless everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.